You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. Alien, which came out in 1979 and was directed by Ridley Scott. Intercepted the transmission of unknown origin. Transmission? Out here? SOS. Human. Unknown. Alien. Certificate X. Any systematized transmission indicating a possible intelligent origin must be invested. In space, no one can hear you scream. It stars Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Yefit Kodo, John Hurt, Ian Holm, Veronica Cartwright, Balahi Badejo, and Harry Dean Stanton. The genre would be sci-fi horror thriller. Ten minutes into this, I suddenly had a realization regarding another genre film that I had rewatched a couple of nights prior. I thought, wow, this is within the same universe as Predator 2? Crazy. And indeed it is. And gratefully, it's so much more, because this film was just meticulously crafted by Sir Ridley and sci-fi screenwriter extraordinaire Dan O'Bannon, into a just-under two-hour tension machine featuring relatable characters dealing with an almost indescribable threat, which starts to pick them off one by one. And by threat, I'm referring to several different things combined. A creepy derelict spacecraft filled with giant leathery eggs, the nimble facehugger who manages to plant one on John Hurt's shamelessly curious cane. Wait a minute, this movement. Seems to have life. Organic life. The ruthless company who diverts the crew of the ship Nostromo from heading home, instead sending them to a desolate planet housing said spacecraft, the milk-spewing android who manipulates them into danger, and of course, the titular alien who manages to make quite the violent entrance into this world via Kane's chest cavity, and then inexplicably grows about a hundred times larger to become a slimy eight-foot-tall walking black dildo, which is ribbed for nobody's pleasure. This giant phallic monster not only has super strength, just watch the deleted scene with Harry Dean Stanton, but is freakishly nimble, has a retractable mouth of sharp teeth, has a savagely sharp tail which it can whip around. Oh, and it also spews acid for blood. Good luck. <laughs> this creature was designed by the late Swiss artist H.R. Geiger, and it's a testament to just how effectively this, quote, tempest in space, as some described it upon release, builds its tension for the 65 minutes that it takes before we even get a glimpse of the full monster that Mr. Alien's appearance feels more like a culmination of the horror which preceded it as opposed to a payoff. Because everything I just described leading up to it is damn scary. Ridley Scott is just a visual master. And he certainly didn't do it alone, with help from cinematographer Derek Van Lint and Michael Seymour who led production design. And Jerry Goldsmith providing a perfectly moody score. Everything just feels creepy yet sufficiently lived in from the ribbed walls of the alien spacecraft to those scratchy-sounding spiral doors to the ventilation shafts on the Nostromo. Close all the hatches behind me. I'm moving on. 
And thanks to this top flight cast, we buy all of it. Each character comes off like a 70s futuristic version of a space trucker. Sigourney Weaver was literally the youngest of the main cast at 29, while most of the rest of the cast were in their 40s and 50s, which would just be unheard of today for any sort of horror film. Everyone just looks sleep-deprived and grizzled from the get-go, which makes it all the more realistic. It goes without saying that Sigourney is great as Ripley in what was her breakout role, playing suspicious, concerned, freaked, and unflappable, all very convincingly. Well, let's talk about killing it. We know it's using the air shafts. Will you listen to me, Parker? Shut up! Let's hear it. Let's hear it. It's using the air shafts. We don't know That's that. That's the only way. We'll move in pairs. We'll go step by step and cut off every bulkhead and every vent until we have it cornered, and then we'll blow it the fuck out into space. Is that acceptable to you? It means killing it. It's acceptable to me. Obviously, it means killing it. But she's really not the star, as this is a true ensemble. Everyone shines from Yafit Koto as the jovial but tough Parker, whose death still pisses me off after so many rewatches. I mean, damn you, Lambert. All you had to do was just move a few feet. And of course, Veronica Cartwright playing Lambert, she's pretty great herself. To Ian Holm, adroitly playing it all cold and creepy as Ash, the secret android. You could even make a case that he might be the most unnerving villain in this whole deal. What was your special order? You read it. I thought it was clear. What was it? Bring back life form. Priority one. All other priorities rescinded. There's a damn company. What about our lives, you son of a bitch? I repeat, all other priorities are rescinded. How do we kill it, Ash? There's got to be a way of killing it. How? How do we do it? You can't. And I realize that compared to the amazing sequel, Aliens, great film. Check out my review, by the way. That this film gets a bum rap from some folks as the, quote, slower one, as the story takes its time, feeling more deliberately paced. But is it actually? I mean, we're touching down on LV-426 within 20 minutes and we encounter the facehugger before minute 45. Seriously, this thing moves faster than I remember. Yes, Scott carefully takes us through the corridors of the Nostromo for several minutes, but it all works towards setting up this environment pretty efficiently. Literally, everything shown to us serves a purpose, introducing us to this world and building tension. I honestly did not feel a wasted moment rewatching it this time around. And it all climaxes with a final 20 minutes that just does not let up and is a masterclass in sustaining fear through performance, sound design. Danger. The emergency destruct system is now activated. The ship will detonate in T-minus 10 minutes. And some visuals which just catch you off guard. I mean, wow. Did this alien find the right ship to stow away on? Just the perfect mix of oblong pipes and gray-coated wires to hide amongst. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. The late, great Jerry Goldsmith composed the score. And it's an effective mix of tension-building orchestral strings and almost indescribably non-melodic background sound to convey something that's otherworldly and scary. 
For the latter part, he utilizes different instruments from all over the world, including shankers and didgeridoos, playing them in ways which sound almost unrecognizable, resulting in a perfectly creepy table setter for the movie. The main titles, introducing the movie over the slowly developing word, alien. Of course, there's a more conventional theme introduced early on as our main characters are being awoken from hypersleep. It involves flutes, horns, and the canny use of a device which Goldsmith was one of the composing pioneers for, known as the Echoplex. Yes, it does with musical notes exactly what you would expect from the name. It creates echoes. This theme is eventually repeated throughout the film. The track is called Hypersleep. And because this film came out in 1979, imagine my delight to learn that there was actually a disco version of the main Alien theme released as a single, produced by a side project of a few DJs known at the time as Nostromo. Yep, named after the ship in the movie. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there should be a disco version developed of every major theme. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. There's honestly no one I can think of in front of nor behind the camera whose talent is wasted. But I would like to give a shout out to one of the unsung master contributors to this movie. And that would be the man who actually plays, in camera, the full-grown eponymous alien. His name was Bulaji Badejo, and he was a Nigerian design student who was actually discovered by the casting director of Alien at a local London bar one night. Before production, they were on the lookout for someone to fill out that alien suit who was freakishly tall and thin. Needless to say, Balaji, standing at around seven feet tall and quite lanky, more than fit the bill. From all accounts, he was a fantastic collaborator on set and was a very good sport often having to wear this giant latex suit under less-than-friendly conditions most of the time. And it should go without saying that his physical performance is just spot on. Despite having a large humanoid frame, this alien doesn't move like a human on two legs. His movements are very slow, 
and deliberate, along with being acrobatic at times, which we see during his introductory scene when he's literally dangling above Stanton's Brett, hanging from chains no less. It remains one of the great horror monster movie performances, right alongside the near-silent work done for Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers right around the same time. Sadly, this would be Badejo's only on-screen acting appearance. He was diagnosed at a young age with sickle cell anemia and passed away in 1992 at the age of 39 due to complications from the disease. R.I.P. to a true otherworldly legend. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. There can only be one, right? <laughs> yeah, it has to be the show-stopping sequence, which occurs about halfway through the movie. Kane, who's played by the late great John Hurt, has woken up from a coma, induced by having the mysterious facehugger alien wrapped around his neck. He seems okay, and they're just having one last meal before returning to cryosleep to then return home. Everyone's just shooting the shit, laughing, enjoying their meal, when suddenly, well, you know what happens. Our eponymous alien is birthed and says, hello. And can I just say that 43 years later, after it first hit screens, this sequence still holds up. Hurt is terrifying as we watch him convulse in pain in the lead-up to it. The blood effects look genuinely convincing as we see them burst out in a mini geyser from his chest cavity. That creepy sound effect of the baby alien's first scream is still quite unnerving. The way everyone else is framed around him at the table conveys the scale of just how shocking this whole event is. And I have to say, what really sells this the most is the completely unnerving cry that Veronica Cartwright lets out as she's watching this. Honestly, when it comes to game-changing movie moments that I wish I could have seen live in theaters as part of an unsuspecting audience, it probably comes down to the twist ending of Planet of the Apes in 1968 and this. And that brings us to the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Last year, I reviewed Aliens, and for me, selecting Sigourney Weaver as the MVP was almost a no-brainer. Her performance, though, in this film is arguably as strong as it was in that film. But as she has a smaller role, and this is more of an ensemble, I don't think she's the clear-cut choice for Alien. It's also tempting to choose H.R. Geiger for his design of the titular Alien. Just such a unique design for a creature. It's a mix of phallic and insect-like imagery. You could make a strong case that this film would not have had nearly the impact it did without presenting us for the first time with such an iconic creature villain. At the end of the day, this film is the whole package. Perfectly structured and paced, both awe-inspiring and terrifying to look at throughout, well cast with several seasoned actors giving pitch-perfect natural performances, and a sound design and score which never fails to keep you on your toes and unnerve you at times. One man pulled all that together in what might arguably be the best horror film of all time. It's certainly in the conversation, likely top five if nothing else. And that man is Sir Ridley Scott. This was only his second feature film at the time, though he was already 42 and had been directing short films and commercials for more than a decade before that. 
There's a confidence here from those lingering opening shots taking us through the empty hallways of the Nostromo, which just never lets up throughout the rest of the movie. Every decision he makes from what's shown and what's not shown, from what's said and what's not said, all of it serves a purpose. I mean, we never even get a full-on discussion of the implications of what this crew has discovered, but we just don't need to. And we barely see the full design of the alien through the first three-fourths of this movie. When he's matched up with the right screenwriter and a strong game cast, The Martian, Thelma and Louise, and hell, the very self-aware trashiness of both Black Rain and Hannibal, he is just so adept at putting together a series of moving images on the screen which are awe-inspiring. And he does that here. Ridley Scott is the MVP. Mr. Scott, Alan Ladd Jr., who's head of 20th Century Fox when this whole project Alien was coming about, was quoted as saying that he envisioned a film of great tension that works on the mind and emotions but isn't bloody or gory. Mm-hmm. Well, does he think that you have lived up to his envision? I, I think so. I think a lot of people have seen the film uh, feel that... Uh, they seem to have seen a lot of the elements that you just mentioned, but in fact there aren't. I mean, there is only one scene in there that contains any blood whatsoever. It's true. My rating for Alien is five stars out of five. <laughs> Alien remains a masterpiece. As I just said, I truly love some of Ridley Scott's filmography, but I don't think he has ever directed something better. Few directors actually have. And if you're looking to watch Alien, it is available to rent or buy on all major streaming platforms. And that ends another Derelict Review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.